Welcome back to another 3 and D podcast. I'm Mark King. As always, your host. We've got a good show today. We have a, a very exciting week coming up. Uh, we've got a great show, though, today. Joe Mullen, site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues, joins us today. And then this week, an exciting week. We have uh, training camp starts on Tuesday for the Grizzlies, and then media day will be tomorrow. We're recording this Sunday night, so media day will be Monday. So by the end of this week, we should know a lot more than we do right now. Uh, but before we get too far into it, I want to bring Joe on. Joe, what's going on, man? It's good to hear your voice. It's good to be back on the podcast and, and get back in the grizzly swing of things. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, my day my day job is teacher and head football coach. So I, I am officially with Monday starting the busiest point of my year uh, when all of my jobs are going on at once. And it tends to get a lot, get to be a little bit of, a, of an overwhelming moment. But thankfully, I have great help like you. Uh, going to the media day on Monday and doing great stuff for us over at GBB. So uh, I'm going to get by, and no one really wants to hear me complain for 30 minutes or so on this podcast. So we can get right into it and take a look at Grizzlies basketball. It's just nice that it's finally picking back up, regardless of how optimistic or pessimistic you are about the season coming up ahead of us. Well, before we get too far into it, I want to know, how is the football team doing? You see, you, I, most, oh, most people know you are a football coach. How is it going? We're better off right now than we were last year, which is good. Um, still not great. Uh, still have a losing record through five games, but we're, we're young. Uh, the kids are young, and they're learning, and, and uh, the early part of our schedule is pretty brutal. Uh, we, we schedule pretty tough at the jump, so... Now that we're getting into district play a little bit, things lighten up some, and, and we'll have a chance to go on a run here like we did last year. So uh, we're, we're in a better spot this year than we were last year. That's the good news, at least. Like I said, uh, we're going to get into it quickly. Uh, I will be there tomorrow for uh, media day, so it'll be exciting to figure out how everybody feels going into the season. But um, I think the biggest question I think that the Grizzlies have going into the season is – the question of what they will do at the two-guard spot. I mean, they uh, signed Marshawn Brooks last year. Uh, they have uh, Wayne Selden that they have had all of last year. He's been hurt. And then they also added the uh, veteran Garrett Temple. So all these guys, I think, have the possibility uh, to be the starting two-guard, have the potential to, uh, to be in that slot. But I don't know. Right now, there's just so many questions about who could that be. I just want to get your first of all get your thoughts on 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 what who do you think that will end up being uh, starting on 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 opening night? Not necessarily well, winning, not necessarily winning the job, but just who will start on opening night? Well, to me, it's the biggest basketball question. You know, non basketball related, it's always going to be health with these Grizzlies, whether it's Mike Conley and and whether he's fully cleared going into camp or. You know Chandler Parsons or Instagram posts or Snapchats or whatever the hell they were of, of Parsons in Germany just a few days ago. So is he healthy or, or quote unquote healthy, whatever the whatever healthy is for Chandler Parsons at this stage? But in terms of the actual basketball, I'm with you. I think the two guard position is the most fascinating one, and I personally find it fascinating more fascinating than I thought it would or I would because. I always just assumed that Dylan Brooks is going to be the starter at the two. And you have a lot of national writers, whether it be for sites like Ringer or ESPN, you know, when they look at the Grizzlies, often not very flattering, uh, their, their reviews of what their expectations are for Memphis. But whenever they talk about them, it seems like they assume that Garrett Temple is going to be the starting two guard. So it's either one of two things. Either they have insider information in talking with a Hollinger or, or a Wallace or even Bickerstaff himself, 
or they are presuming that Temple's going to come in because they think he's better than Dylan Brooks. Now, anybody who watched Dylan Brooks play last year, uh, to me, I would go with Dylan Brooks because he had a decent season, if not better than that. I might be underselling him. But at the very least, he was decent uh, on a really bad team. And it would be nice to see him in, in an environment where they're trying to compete, where they're trying with Conley healthy to be as offensively efficient as possible. Now, that doesn't mean that it wouldn't be interesting to see Dylan Brooks in that six-man wing role, getting about 25 minutes a night off the bench. Maybe he finishes games. And I mentioned on Twitter on Sunday the idea of Temple starting is intriguing because it gives you multiple facilitators on the wing, whether it's Kyle Anderson or Garrett Temple. It allows for Mike Conley to play off the ball and be the scorer that this team will almost certainly need him to be. Uh, My bold prediction uh, for this season is Mike Conley will be close to the top ten, if not in the, the very top ten, 10th on the list in terms of NBA scoring. I think if he stays healthy, he'll be in the 23, 24 points a night range because he has to be. If you believe the Grizzlies are going to be a playoff team, who the hell else is going to score? You know what I'm saying? So it it allows for them to have multiple facilitators in that spot uh, as a starter. Not that Dylan couldn't do that, but I think it's fair to say that you know we've seen Garrett Temple do it a heck of a lot more than Dylan at this stage. And it would give bench or the bench uh, a scoring punch with Dylan coming off the bench. So I, I never even really thought of it as a question until I saw other people putting it out there. And to me, enough people are saying it that it is a real possibility. It's not just the national media ignoring the Grizzlies again. Uh, I, I want to see both of them do it in preseason. Obviously, preseason you don't get a ton. Minutes are limited, especially for those guys like Mark and Mike. But practice is obviously going to be the main focus, and we're not allowed to be at the practices. So the, the questions and the, the information coming out of these training camp sessions will be really cool to kind of pursue, or to look into when it comes to the two-guard spot. It, it comes down to what you want. If you want a second or third scorer, Dylan Brooks is probably your guy there. If you're looking to Mike Conley to be your primary guy and you want to feed the offense through him, Garrett Temple makes sense because he'll probably be a little bit better at getting Conley open are finding Conley off screens and other types of movements within an offense than Dylan would at this stage of his career. Yeah, you mentioned Dylan Brooks, and honestly, I didn't even mention him off the top just because I, I probably slate in the category of I think that Dylan Brooks's long-term value is probably as a six-man role type of uh, bench player. I think he's a fringe starter, uh, you know, starter on a bad team, but necessarily on a good team is I think he might be better suited coming off the bench. Now, that being said, he went from a good player at the beginning of the season to a really, really good player, improving on a lot of uh, his uh, problem areas into the end of the season. Like when he started the season, he wasn't that great of a three-point shooter, and you come up, you, you, you see the back half of the season, and that's something he improved dramatically. So he's a player that I think can – work or, or will work at being a you know being a quality NBA player and that that's something in the NBA in the NBA you really have to actually work at being a good you know being a great player uh, on a team so I think he will put in the work to be able to do that um, but like I said I didn't even include him in the conversation because I, I just think that I think that he's better suited coming off the bench now for the sake of the conversation we will we, we'll include him down the road but like I think that there are there are, there are four guys here there are uh, there are Marshawn Brooks, Dylan, you know Marshawn, Dylan, um, 
Wayne and Garrett Temple. And then I think, you know, ultimately I think two of those guys are probably maybe maybe one, but def- maybe two – Two, definitely one of those guys are going to be left out of the rotation uh, on a nightly basis, especially as we get further into this season. Uh, JB's got 13 players on uh, basically that he could legitimately play in an NBA game, and there's no way he's playing that many players. I mean, there's just, it's just not going to happen. So uh, for the sake of the conversation, I really want to talk about these players individually and what, they, what you think they can bring to the team and how they fit best. So let's just start with Wayne Sel- Selden. Obviously, he is a player that... Um, I personally think is the most prototypical three, you know, three and D wing player that we have. Um, I really like his shot. I really like the way he plays the game. Uh, unfortunately, haven't been able to see it. Didn't see it much last year. He was hurt, uh, and then he didn't come back really well just because you know being out of the season that long. That's tough to do. So, what do you see for Wayne Selden this year? Could, could, uh, you know, if he's healthy, obviously that seems like a caveat for every Grizzlies. But what do you see for Wayne Selden this year? Well, to me, there's two tiers. To, to me, and you just said we'll talk about each of them, that's fine. To me, it's Garrett Temple and Dylan Brooks in the playing time tier, and it's Wayne Selden and Marshawn Brooks in the spot minutes slash who doesn't play tier. Uh, I'm not as high on Wayne as you are. I do believe that he obviously has potential and ability. Otherwise, he would have been traded or released a long time ago, much in the way of Deontay Davis and Jarrell Martin. So, they, they clearly value him and want to see what he can do healthy, and he hasn't been able to do that just yet. I think that you're right. That can be, He can be a shooter. He's shown that he can be a slasher. He can get to the rim uh, in summer league. But can he do that at the NBA level? We've at least seen Dylan Brooks do it at the NBA level. Even if you want to argue it was on a bad team, which clearly it was, we've at least seen him be a scorer, be a slasher, be a shooter, he can do all those things at the NBA level. He has shown that. He's proven that. Whether or not it's on a good team and what role he does it as, I think that's a fair question that you ask. For, for me, we haven't seen it from Wayne yet, so I don't know that it's fair to Dylan, who I believe was the only Grizzly to play in every game last season. I don't know if it's fair to him to say uh, Wayne Selden's going to jump in front of you because of the potential he has, whereas you've shown us what you can do. While the ceiling may be a bit higher, higher for Wayne because of his athleticism, I'm not sure he's ever going to obtain it. Meanwhile, you've seen Dylan Brooks achieve at a pretty high level considering what he had to work with, and he, he's going to continue to be there uh, for them moving forward. So uh, Wayne is at the bottom for me, or at least he's third of the four names you mentioned. I don't think he's particularly close to Dylan or Garrett Temple at this stage. Uh, but I certainly think he's, he's higher up than Marshawn Brooks. Uh, the, the Marshawn Brooks love uh, is borderline humorous to me, and I know we'll talk about him more in a moment. But I, I think that you're right in what he could be as a 3 and D wing. I just think he's a guy that's never been able to be healthy enough to show it consistently. And because of that, he's going to be starting off behind those other two guys, at the very least, in Temple and Dylan Brooks. And I think that's where he belongs. He'll be fighting for spot minutes. Him and Omri Caspi are essentially in the same boat, at least to me, when it comes to their role. Now, again, this could all change in a week or two. You know, you and I could have a conversation, you know, an article on the blog or another podcast, whatever it might be, and all of a sudden Wayne Silden has shown that he can be the starter. That's possible, but I just don't see it as likely at this stage for Wayne. It's interesting. I think you're probably right in the situation where you you say that um, 
there are two tiers. There is a Garrett Temple, Dylan Brooks, and then there's probably a Marshawn and Wayne, just because, like you said, Wayne has not shown it. And I, I will say you're right on that. I, I do think he has more potential. Uh, I think he's got more upside or some of the most upside of all the four players. But you are right. He has not shown it in a in a regular role, whereas Dylan Brooks has shown it time and you know night in and night out. Even if it's for a bad team, you're still going up against NBA players. I mean, it's not like it's not right. summer league. You know, it's not it's not like it's it's not a, a real thing. So, um, I do I do agree with you in the, in the, in the, in the fact that Wayne Selden does have a lot to prove. But I think he'll get his shot. Obviously, he'll get his shot in practice. But I think he'll get his shot in games as well, especially starting the season off when JB doesn't really, you know, he's still trying to figure out some lineups because I, I think I wrote a, I wrote a column on this. But and there are so many lineups that JB can throw out there this year that will be uh, pretty exciting. Um, but let's talk about what what I I think Garrett Temple will be the starter on opening night. Just to be perfectly honest with you, I think that JB will put out a veteran that he trusts. Uh, on the floor on opening night, or else I don't think they would have gone out and gotten him if they didn't want to play him, uh, much less start him. I, I think he's a caliber player that um, he's a smart player. Uh, I've mentioned this a lot. He has gone out and he's a, a guy that has a, has steadily worked on his shot to improve his shot uh, year after year, and that has gotten better year after year. Um, so I, I think they want if there is smart basketball veteran players and. Um, and Garrett Temple fits that to a T. So, uh, what what do you think that Garrett Temple, long term, I guess, right away, but also throughout the season, provides for this team? I mean, where do you see him in this team? Is is he is he a starter to you? Is he just a six man? Is is he falling out of the rotation at the end of the year? Where do you see him going? Well, I think you have to remember what they gave up for him was essentially peanuts. Uh, the most valuable piece of that trade was the second-round pick several years from now that might be pretty good when the Grizzlies are probably going to clear rebuild instead of this muddled middle path that they've chosen uh, somewhat out of necessity. Uh, Deontay Davis, they've already waived. Sacramento has. Uh, ben McLemore is on the last year of a deal that you know he might even get stretched. Who knows? So the most valuable piece of that was the second-round pick. It's not like they gave up a gigantic amount for Temple. So I would not be as outraged or as disappointed or as shocked as maybe you would be if he's a, a six-man type coming off the bench. But I do think you make a good point with Bickerstaff looking to a veteran lineup. Conley, Temple, Anderson, Jamichael Green, and Marcus Gasol, that feels, that feels like something that a first-year fully head coach, I know he's been an interim coach for several or a couple of seasons now at different spots, but this is JB's first rodeo as a head coach. And I think that it makes sense that he would try to lean on those guys and then sprinkle in a, a second-year player in Dylan Brooks, a rookie like Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, obviously, Andrew Harrison's been around for a few seasons now, I think, uh, going into his fourth, I believe, or maybe his third. But anyway, uh, Harrison has been around, but he's still relatively young. So maybe you sprinkle those guys in uh, amongst the veterans and you don't go to a true bench lineup as much. That, that's part of what's going to make this training camp fascinating is we'll get an idea of what Bickerstaff wants out of this out of this season. Um, and then on the flip side, I could see them starting Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks from the jump, and, and they'd be relatively young with Kyle Anderson, who I believe is 24 or 25, uh, lined up alongside the younger Brooks and obviously the youngest, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. So th- that starting five will be kind of interesting in and in a window into what their uh, their plan is, at least in terms of how they're going to try to be competitive. Uh, to me, regardless, whether he starts or whether he's a sixth man, Garrett Temple's going to have pretty important roles 
on this team. He's going to be that facilitator I mentioned earlier for Mike Conley and for others. He's going to be a guy who can defend multiple positions on the perimeter. You spoke of his three-point shooting. Uh, you can have lineups where it's Conway, Temple, uh, Omri Caspi, Chandler Parsons, and Marcus Gasol, and all five of them can shoot threes. They'll have good length with Temple out there on the perimeter. Uh, it was just a smart trade to trade for that guy. And then worst-case scenario, if he does fall apart or if the season falls apart, even if he plays well, He's an expiring contract. There's value there. You could possibly pair him and Jermichael Green or just have him by himself. And there, there's value in getting a veteran of the caliber of Garrett Temple in a trade halfway through the season if, if Memphis wants to go back in on their youth uh, as things go on. So it, it was just a smart deal to make. I think if Memphis is going to be competitive this year, and I do think they will be, they needed to make a move for that type of guy, whether he's a starter or a reserve. You know, I could certainly see a scenario where whether he's the starter or not, Garrett Temple finishes the games for the Grizzlies, especially if they need a stop or if they need a chance for Conley to get open and they need another facilitator. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that Garrett Temple's better at that, at that than Dylan Brooks. So who they start there will really kind of be a window into how they perceive themselves are they still in the mode of development while trying to be competitive? Are they really all in on being competitive? Because, again, Dylan Brooks is a six-man scorer with that bench unit. Maybe makes more sense in that spot when you allow for Garrett Temple to be a secondary or even tertiary facilitator for Mike Conway alongside Kyle Anderson. I think that's, I think that's pretty interesting what you say. Like, I, I think you're, you're probably – I think it could go either way. I think we could probably, either one of us could both be right with Garrett Temple, either starting or six man. But I think you hit on one thing. You're right. Either the fact that the they he will have a big role this year and will have an impact sure. impact impact on the on the team this year. Like you said, even if he even if he, even if he's finishing games um, where they need really high basketball IQ, you got smart players on the floor. Uh, you know, people that have been in situations numerous times before, and so I think that's something that. You could see a lot of with Garrett Temple, you know, maybe not starting, even if he's not starting, but probably definitely finishing the game if they just need smart basketball plays uh, down the stretch. Um, I, I'm going to skip over Dylan Brooks. I think we've covered what we both think of Dylan Brooks. Well, sure, so, I agree with that. Uh, as well. But I, I want to talk about the last guard on, you know, last potential in, in, in Marshawn Brooks. And I I'm personally do not uh, think that he – I'll, I'll, let, me, I'll, let me rephrase it this way. I'll, I would not be surprised if he's weighed by December. Uh, I'll, I'll just put it that way. I don't think he's a guy who played about six or seven games last year against people who weren't really playing for playoff spots, didn't really care, and sure, he put up numbers, but does that really matter? I mean, to me, he's a guy that if he was as good as people think he is, um, then or you know, just as people in, in Memphis think he is, then he wouldn't have spent four years in China. Uh, that's, that's just my, that's my take on it. I don't know what you think about Marshawn Brooks, but I, I'm interested to see. I'm on the same page with you. I don't know about him being waived. That's certainly possible. But at the same time, he, he's a microwave is what he is. What I see him as is a guy who's going to get spot minutes. If the offense comes out on a Tuesday night in Phoenix and is playing horribly, or, you know, name the city, name the day, some – doldrums middle of the season game and their the offense is stagnant you bring Marshawn Brooks in and what that guy can do is get buckets and he can wake up your offense and be a shot of arm, a shot in the arm in terms of energy he doesn't fit the mold of what they spent their entire offseason doing whether it's Jaron Jackson Jr. Javon Carter 
the, the trade for Garrett Temple that we talked about, the signing of Kyle Anderson, bringing in Omri Caspi, this roster's had a decent amount of overturn, and it's not the way that fits the skill set of Marshawn Brooks. Now, does that mean he doesn't have value? No. I, I see him as a guy who can score the basketball at a quick pace early on whenever you need him to. And I think there is value in that, but he is not, he's not Wayne Selden, I don't think, and he doesn't have the upside at this stage of their careers of Wayne Selden. He's certainly not Dylan Brooks. Uh, Dylan certainly has more two-way viability, as does Garrett Temple. So to me, even if you're taking my two tiers from earlier, Marshawn Brooks might even be below Wayne Selden in terms of a tier. Like I think he's the 14th or 15th man. I don't see him being active very often. I think he's going to be on the, on the bench in the inactive list, and that certainly beats being in China uh, probably for Marshawn. He's getting an NBA paycheck, and he's back in the, in the association. But, and he'll, he'll have opportunities to show what he can do when he does play because you know injuries are going to happen somewhere. But, yeah, I, I, he doesn't fit defensively. He doesn't fit in terms of the versatility they're looking for. He's just not – he's kind of the, the, the odd man out. You know, he kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in terms of all of these other moves they made. Before they really went in this direction, they signed Marshawn Brooks, and it, it just kind of is puzzling now seeing the way that they chose to go, and Marshawn is still here. Yeah, and and for the record, I I don't think he'll be waived. I mean, I just I'm just saying it would not surprise me in the slightest if oh, we sure. look up and my and, and people are in Marshawn Brooks isn't here anymore. I think he'll probably like, like you said, you see a lot of DNP CDs for that guy um, going throughout the year. But I think my question with with Marshawn Brooks more than anything is is you mentioned that he's a he's he's a scorer and get and can get you buckets, but is that something that he can do on a nightly basis? against NBA level competition that's what I'm not so sure about um, that that he's able to do that uh, once he's on a scouting report every night for teams or um, you know that, that that's 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 what I'm, I'm very unsure of now if he's getting DMPCDs and like you said just comes in random games and yeah he could probably get you buckets but if he's on the roster every night and he's in the rotation once the scouting reports come out for those guys and and trust me they they come out they're not going to scout you when you're the 15th man but when you're the ninth and tenth man you're going to get scouted and and what you can and can't do uh, against against the Memphis Grizzlies. So once you're on that report, I just think it's a, a bit different of what people know, what his tendencies are, what he likes to do, how he plays the game. I think that's a bit different getting buckets in a, in a every night basis in the NBA, and that's what concerns me with Marshawn Books. Not necessarily that he can get buckets as a 14th, 15th man as a random in a random game on a Tuesday in Oklahoma City, like you mentioned. I think my concern is getting buckets on a regular rotation night when you show up in scouting reports for other teams against NBA level competition and defenses, I'm just not so sure that can happen. What about you? For me, if he's the ninth or 10th man in their rotation, something has gone horribly wrong <laughs> and they're going to, they're going to keep the 2019 pick from Boston and they'll be picking in the top five, taking Zion Williamson or something like that. Like something's gone really, really bad. If Marshawn Brooks is your ninth man, that's probably There's a true. reason he was in China for several years. <laughs> uh, not being disrespectful to him, I do think a little bit more highly of his offensive skill set. Uh, I I believe that in the role that I would envision for him, he would be able to score even against the Golden State or Houston, you know, in spurts. My uh, to, to add to your argument for the skill for the scouting report, he also would get maliciously attacked on the other end of the court (laughs) 
<laughs> in terms of being the focal point of having to run off screens, having to deal sure. with multiple pick and roll sets. He would be the guy that would get attacked, and any offensive advantage you would gain from Marshawn would be negated almost immediately. So I'm with you there in terms of scouting reports on both sides of the court. Probably eventually wouldn't be super friendly to him. For me, it's especially defensively, and for that reason, like I said, I, I would be highly shocked if Marshawn Brooks was the ninth or tenth man. And I know you didn't say that, but you're, you're, you were making the point of the scouting report being a, a vital piece of it. And I think for that reason, you will not see him that often in that role. On a good team, which Memphis hopes to be, or at least a competitive team, Marshawn Brooks can't be a ninth or tenth man, at least not in my opinion, not at this stage of his career, not when his game is so dependent on that offensive side. It's not that he's a bad defender. It's just that that's nowhere near the strength of his game. And the negative of that side of the court would be, at the very least, canceling out whatever offensive production he's bringing. I think you're right, and and, and you're, you're you're right. If he's a ninth and tenth man on this Grizzlies team, like you said, something has gone horribly wrong, and they need to refocus uh, their their goals for the year. Um, but I do want to move on from the guards. I think we've covered what you know what what people can expect from these guys, what they can expect from you know Gar- what if Garrett Tipples in the game, or if Wayne Seldon has a chance, or Dylan Brooks, or even Marshawn Brooks. Um, but I do want to turn our attention to the the, the I guess it would be the premium signing of the year, Kyle Anderson. Uh, the highlight, uh, I guess, of the, their free agency class this year, uh, which was just technically him and Omri Caspi, because the others were brought here via trade. So. Or no, so Shelvin Mack was a free agent signing as well. So, but still, right. so so Kyle Anderson would be their their uh, their their highlight. So, uh, I think a, I think probably a concern for some people that I've seen is a lot of guys tend to be really good in a Spurs offense, and when they get outside of it, they're just not as good or not as polished or don't look as good. Um, I'd argue that Kyle Anderson will probably not be that guy. I think he's a good player, and he does enough on the court to be good outside of the of the Spurs system. But I do want to get your opinion on 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 just that in general. What do you think? You know, do you think he'll have problems? You know, not not playing in the Spurs system, adjusting to something else. And it, and I don't think I don't think he will. But it, let me know what you think. And then also, what do you think is the best way the Grizzlies should use them in their offense? I've seen a lot of people, you know, he, he mentioned even the other day when I was at the press conference that he really uh, loves to have the ball in his hands and it, it really to get his other teammates going in the offense. So, I um, mean, could we even see like a Kyle Anderson point guard? What, what do you think about that, too? Well, I, I think that Memphis is going to love Kyle Anderson because he's so different. Memphis is all about being different. You know, J.B. Bickerstaff has said that himself in press conferences and interviews. You know, why why does everybody try to be like Golden State or Houston? We need to try to be different. And Kyle Anderson's game fits that to a T. He's one of the most unique players in the NBA. Uh, I don't see him struggling like other Spurs players who have left the Spurs because he's not an offensive juggernaut to begin with. That was never the focus of his game in, in terms of trying to score the basketball. He's a rebounder on the wing, and he can play that small ball four. He can be that point forward, as you just alluded to. Again, he's he's a player who theoretically could facilitate offense for Mike Conley while he's running off screens, being the scoring guard off the ball. He, depending on the lineup, could play center. I, I mean, think think about lineups with you know, uh, for example, Mike Conley, Dylan Brooks. Uh, 
and then you have Omri Caspi, Chandler Parsons, and Kyle Anderson. You know, you've got multiple 6'9", 6'10", wings in your front court that could switch just about everything, and then you have Dylan and Conley in the front court. Forget Conley, put Andrew Harrison in, and your shortest player is 6'6". You could probably switch everything. So as you mentioned at the top here, this is a very versatile roster now, much more versatile than it was uh, when the season ended, and he's a key part to that. I don't foresee him struggling. I'm excited to watch him play, and I don't expect him to, to light it up scoring. I think we could see lots of nights where he posts, you know, 5.5 rebounds, 5 block, 5 steals, you know, th- those kinds of things. That, to me, is where I see his value, his ability to impact the game on both ends of the court, his ability as a facilitator offensively to take some of the pressure off of the other perimeter players, his ability defensively to use his length, use his understanding of basketball angles and, and hedging on screens and pick and rolls. He is just a smart, cerebral guy, and I think he fits Memphis to a T. I think Marcus Gasol is going to love him in terms of the way he plays the game and the way that he looks to get the best shot, not necessarily his shot. You know, and not, Nothing against Chandler Parsons, and again, he has been nowhere near what we expect him to be because of health. But Chandler Parsons was brought in to be an offensive juggernaut. You know, that was kind of the goal for him to get that 15, 16, 17 points a night that they sorely needed. J.B. Bickerstaff and his staff and Chris Wallace in the front office, they didn't bring in Kyle Anderson to be that guy. They brought in Kyle Anderson to be a facilitator, a Swiss Army knife, a guy that can do a little bit of everything and help keep this Grizzlies team versatile. And he's going to do just that. He can legitimately play three to five positions on the court, probably, you know, the two, the three, the four for sure. But then depending on spots, you know, if Sean Livingston's playing point for Golden State, why can't Kyle Anderson play the point? I think, again, matchup-wise, it's like a baseball game where a left, you go lefty-lefty or you have a relief pitcher come in and it's, oh, we know this guy can't hit the slider, so let's bring in our best bullpen arm that has a slider. Kyle Anderson is one of those types that can fit into different lineup matchups and make things difficult for opposing coaches. So he's kind of that living, breathing slider pitch, or whichever baseball analogy you want to make. He can be what you want him to be in terms of everything but scoring the basketball. And J.B. Bickerstaff has already made it clear that that's not his priority with these guys that they brought in. So as long as you're not having the unrealistic goal of expecting him to become this offensive monster, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with what he's able to do because he's able to do just about everything else. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, people, if they think that Kyle Anderson's going to come and score the ball, that's just not him. But I do think he, like you said, he provides so many different lineup com- combinations, not only him, but the other players they're brought in, so many different lineup combinations that they can that they can put out on the floor that it's very interesting to see what J.B. Bickerstaff will do. It's very interesting to see how he will approach that with the uh, guys that can play small ball. Maybe you can see even Chandler Parsons, Ami Cassidy playing the four, maybe into Jaron Jackson playing a five, like a super small lineup. I mean, there are just combinations and things that JB has an ability to do that he is he, – I don't, I don't know if any Grizzlies coach in recent history has had a be, uh, ability to do with the players that I think he has on this roster this year. I think Kyle Anderson reminds me more – and I know – this is not a direct comparison, but he reminds me more of Tony Allen than any other player because Tony Allen's a guy that was was in, in a lot of night was you know doing a lot of things that sometimes didn't even show up in the stat sheet, but was just affecting the game in different ways. And sometimes that didn't always translate to stats. And that's the same thing with Kyle Anderson. But 
you know, he, he does so many different things on the court. Like he said, it's not always offense. It could be defense, it could be ball handling, getting people in certain spots, actually, you know, running the sets like they're supposed to be ran. You know, there are just so many things that he provides that I think will be uh, uh, kind of a welcome relief for Grizzly player for, for Grizzlies fans that have it, it probably not really seen that in, in recent history. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how they play him, whether they play him on the ball or uh, off the ball. So it, It'll be interesting to see in the first few weeks in preseason to see exactly what they do. Um, and the last thing before I get you out of here, and this will be the last thing, but I do want to we, – we've mentioned JB. We've mentioned him having lineups. We mentioned that he has um, – it's his first full year this year. I mean, he's been interim coach twice, but this is it. This is his team. What do you think a successful season looks like for JB? I mean, because we've seen the Grizzlies front office – um, be impatient with coaches. We see him fire coaches uh, within just a couple of years, and, or, or or move on from them. Uh, with you know Dave Yeager's case, um, so what do you think a successful season looks like for JB Bickerstaff? Um, not necessarily record wise, but I mean I guess record wise. But what do you think that looks like in Cop? Is it is it making the playoffs? Is it just missing it? What does that look like? Or do you think, think he's? Or do, you, do you think he's you. got a free pass no matter what? Go ahead. I'm sorry. And I, was just, I'm just, I was adding, do you think he has a free pass no matter what? I think he has a free pass. I, uh, to me, you can't bring him into the situation that you brought him into and expect a full turnaround in a year. I just think that's unrealistic. This is a team that went 22-60 and 60 last year, and you know I've heard on Twitter and through the blog over at grizzlybearblues.com that Oh, they were trying to tank. They were trying to tank. I watched every game last year, okay? There were several losses that they just took because they weren't good enough. They didn't actively try to tank until later in the season. That, that's a team that just, if you look at the Western Conference, I don't understand how people can honestly say that they think they can be a four or five seed. Like, if, if teams stay healthy, you can't assume – other teams are going to be unhealthy and your team's going to stay healthy, especially when your team is one that has had numerous injury concerns the past couple or the past few years. So if you're going to assume that Steph Curry's going to roll his ankle, or if you're going to assume that James Harden, if he gets hurt, Houston's screwed. I mean, what happens if Mike Conley gets hurt again? What happens if Marcus all God forbid something happens to him or you can't have it both ways. So if you're assuming that one of those two, probably Conley, unfortunately, I hope I'm wrong, but if you're assuming that one of those two is not going to be able to play over 70 games or even over 60 games, how you have this team having a winning record to me in the Western Western Conference is shocking and probably not accurate. I think for J.B. Bickerstaff, a successful season is beating the over, uh, or the over-under number. I think they had it at 34-and-a-half or something like that, Vegas did. If you get 35, 36, 37 wins, I would be impressed. I would be happy. You're a competitive team again. You're a team that's, you know, at least in the mix. Your pick conveys in 2019 to Boston, which is what you wanted anyway. You're in, you're in the hunt, and that makes you in the awkward position of at least being able to move on from the mistake you made in the Jeff Green trade. Now you have the opportunity to say, okay, we have – we have no more obligations in terms of the draft picks. The, the rebuild can begin. And if Marcus All walks, then you trade Mike Conley and you really dive into the rebuild and you go around Kyle Anderson and Jaron Jackson Jr. and you use that money to bring in a D'Angelo Russell or another one of those young players who's about to come up and restrict free agency. 
maybe you stretch Chandler Parsons. You know, I think that's on the table for this team this coming offseason. It all kind of depends on what Gasol does. If Gasol opts in, then I think you run it back one more time and you kind of do it again, and you just try to be as, as good as you can be in that final year of all those contracts, and then maybe you see the blow-up occur. But for me, you have to be realistic with J.B. Bickerstaff. They've done a good job bringing in pieces that can be competitive, that will complement Conley and Gasol, and allow for them, if they're able to stay on the court, especially Conley, to have their skill sets maximized. So the front office that I've been very critical of in the past deserves credit. I think they've had one of the best off-seasons that anyone could have realistically expected them to have, from the draft to free agency, the trades they made. They are much better now than they were this time six months ago. But again, at the same time, what does that mean? Compared to what? Compared to the second-worst team in the NBA? If they improve 15 games, they're still several games out of the playoff hunt. So that, that would be my expectation. Uh, maybe I'm selling them low. I'm not going to be able to talk myself into the playoffs this year. Uh, maybe someone else, as we bring GBB Live back and the season gets underway, maybe somebody else can talk me into it. But sitting here right now talking with you on this Sunday night, the night before everything gets underway, I just don't see them as a playoff team. And that doesn't mean that they won't be improved, because I think they will be improved. They might be one of the most improved teams in the NBA, but that doesn't necessarily connect to a playoff appearance when your floor was so low to begin with, when you bottomed out so heavily to start with. I don't necessarily see that translating to a playoff berth because you have a healthy Mike Conley. That would, that would be the, the biggest adjustment in terms of a, a quote-unquote superstar player, I don't think Conley's worth 20-plus wins. I, I don't think Jaron Jackson is. I don't think Kyle Anderson is. I don't think all the moves they've made together, even though they're going to be much better, I don't think it gets them up from the floor that they were at that much. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I'm with you on the fact that I was there for a lot of games and watched a really bad basketball team play. And it was just, it wasn't the fact that, like I said, a lot, in that, earlier in that season, after they started off really well and they dropped off really quickly, that they were trying to win games. They were just not good at basketball. Um, and, and so I think, you know, for JB Biggerstaff, and, and one thing you mentioned that I don't think people realize or are getting giving enough credit to is even if the Grizzlies are good enough to hit that over-under mark. And I've had them pegged at like 33 wins for a while, and I, that's probably what I stand by is I, I'm with you. I don't. That's where I'm at until something significantly changes or, or I see it on the court. But something that people are not talking about enough is the fact that the, everybody around them got better. I mean, even if Mark goes out as healthy, even if Mike goes out as healthy all year, and if they do hit the over, they hit 35 wins, they hit 38 wins, I'm not so sure that's even enough to get you in the conversation in the playoffs in the Western Conference. And I think that is the issue that I think uh, they're gonna, people are going to start to realize very quickly and that JB's going to run into. I don't think that it's going to be good enough in this Western Conference as good it ha- as, as, as increased as it has been. There are a lot of teams that got better that were just outside the playoffs this year and a lot of teams at the bottom of the playoffs last year uh, I think will still have a, a shot to get in as well. So I think that's where my problem with – with it lies is you know what is a successful season for JB is like I think he could have a very successful season in the fact that he could you know get maybe 35 38 wins and you could call that a success but at the same time not even sniff the playoffs just because of the fact that other teams just got so much better throughout this off season and, and it's not it's not the Grizzlies fault it's just not it's not their fault that LeBron James wanted to go to the Lakers if that's just the way it shook that shook out this season so 
I think that people you need to temper their expectations. Just like I said, it's not even it's not even any fault of their own or the Grizzlies. It's just other teams got better too, and a lot of really good players came to the West um, this year. So I, I think that I think that might be the biggest issue um, that they face. Not only that themselves, but the other teams. Other teams are going to be better than them. what What do you think the the the, the number will be? How many wins do you think will be the eighth seed in the West this year? I mean, the eight seed in the West will probably be around 44, 45 wins. I think that's realistic. There has to be some attrition at some point. I think you're going to see Golden State winning an ungodly amount of games. I think you're going to see the Houston Rockets winning an ungodly amount of games. Uh, to me, 45 or 46 is going to be the number. And I want to stress, because I'm in agreement with you, I could see 33 or 34. That makes total sense. I'm going to go a little bit higher because I just think that Mike Conley uh, will have that terrific season that we've been talking about. But people need to, like you said, temper expectations and don't let a team that improved by 15 games from the year before, they're going to be competitive. There's going to be nights where they're going to beat Golden State or they're going to beat Houston because of the ways that they're able to throw different lineups out at these teams. There's going to be fun nights, and there's going to be competitive games, like I said. And don't allow for yourself to think that the season is a failure. You're in the end game now. The grit and grind is gone. You know They can come out in a press conference and say that it's back, and they're trying to go back to that mentality. Zach Randolph and Tony Allen made that happen. That, they were cult, that was a cult of personality that is not returning. It is gone. And you can go back to being a defensive-oriented team, and I think that's going to make them far more interesting to watch, and I think they're going to be much more competitive. I'm excited for this season, and it's the first time since I've covered the team, and that includes last year where obviously I was dead wrong, that I haven't picked them to make the playoffs. Like, I'm not going to pick them to make the playoffs this year. I can't. I I can't logically. uh, I would be a blatant homer in my mind if I picked the Grizzlies to make the playoffs. I can't do it. But I, I can look at this team and say they're going to be much better. I can look at them and say they're going to be fun to watch. But uh, to get to the eighth seed in the Western Conference, 44, 45, 46 wins, I just don't see it. I don't see them being able to do that without things happening poorly for other teams above them. And if you're assuming that those things are going to happen to those teams, to me it's only fair, given the recent history of this franchise, to know or think that that same bad health luck is going to happen to Memphis. I think you're right, and I think the one thing that you said that should, it rings true with myself and yourself and should also ring true with other fans in the Memphis area is that we should be excited to see this team and what they can do. It's going to be an interesting season. It's going to be exciting to see what lineups they can roll out. It's going to be exciting to see what Jaron Jackson Jr. can become. I think we're all excited for that, and we should be. Uh, site manager Joe Molinux from grizzlybearblues.com. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate you joining me. Absolutely. Happy to do it, and I'm looking forward to a great season with you uh, over there with us at GBB. You've done a great job, and I know it's going to continue. Have fun at Media Day, and, uh, and I look forward to your coverage of the team for us this season. Bud. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. That was Joe Molinex, site manager of grizzlybearblues.com. Uh, I appreciate him joining me. Uh, he had a really lot, a lot of insightful things to say about not only shooting guard, Kyle Anderson. We talked uh, JB Bickerstaff. So, um, like he said, mentioned, I will be at Media Days tomorrow. If you're listening tomorrow, I will have already been at Media Days, but we will. Uh, I'll get as much audio as I can, and we will, uh, we will come back and do another podcast maybe tomorrow night, uh, maybe Tuesday during the day. Uh, but I will put all that audio in one podcast, so you guys have all, all the raw audio. 
uh, will be able to hear that uh, uh, from Media Days. But uh, again, I appreciate Joe Molnix, site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues, for joining me. Um, it's been really, really uh, insightful to see what he has uh, uh, to say for the season coming up. So, again, this has been a 3 and D podcast with Mark King as your host. Appreciate you, and we will see you next time.